Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the sermon podcast. Hey, it's a joy to be together here uh, to gather as a family in this season of Advent. Uh, If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, we're in a series, Turn to the Feast, and we said two weeks ago that Jesus is our feast, and to that end, each week uh, through Advent, we're joining with our brothers and sisters in Jesus across the planet. We're following the Common Lectionary, which is a series of scripture uh, that is rooted and grounded in the church for centuries, Um, and we're reading that together through the daily. It's a great discipleship resource we have. If you want to follow along with us, you can sign up online. You get an email Monday through Friday, and wonderful men and women of our church contribute to that. Um, And then we're in our groups. We're we're talking about the scripture that we're studying then here on Sunday mornings. And so this morning, we're in Luke chapter 1. Um, So you can turn with me there, uh, starting in verse 67. Uh, One of the things that I love about this season of Advent and this theme of Return of the Feast, Dana and Chelsea, um, you know, have this wonderful installation at the front of our, uh, at the front of the stage here. And um, what we're doing week by week, if you want to participate, it's sort of an interactive uh, experience as a body. We're bringing fresh baked bread. Um, We talked about Jesus being the bread from heaven a couple weeks ago, but we're also bringing just food we like to make. So if you have a special dish that you love to make, we would encourage you over the next couple of Sundays, make that, bring it, don't be shy, come up, put it somewhere on the table. And then what we're doing is we're actually um, taking the food and taking the bread, um, and we're uh, putting together to-go plates that we're bringing into uh, Robinwood, which is one of the public housing communities and that we've had the opportunity to build relationship with the families there each Sunday. So we're um, bringing food, we're packing meals, we're bringing them into the neighborhood, and it's all part of this bigger theme of Jesus being our bread and centering on him. So we'd love for you to partake uh, in that and participate with us. Um, this will all culminate on Christmas Eve at the Westin. Um, you can, uh, on our website, just RSVP and let us know that you'll be there so we can make sure we have enough space. Um, and also, uh, f- if you have childcare needs for under two, we'll have um, some crafts for kids uh, three and up, and uh, it'll be a great family gathering together as we do each each uh, Christmas. And we'll, we'll end the gathering. It is one of my favorite parts of the whole year around the Christmas tree out here um, on the square uh, where we'll sing Silent Night together. So it's a little recap of where we are, where we're headed, and now we're jumping into Luke chapter 1. You guys ready to roll? Okay, you can open your Bibles with me and just have it open. We're going to just bump around in these few verses together. I'll read it over us. It'll be on the screen behind me, and then we'll dive in. Starting in verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, saying this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a a horn of Shinforus in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways 
to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this song, this canticle that we get to spend time uh, delving into this morning. I thank you for each person in this room, each friendship, each couple, uh, the children among us. Lord, those who have been walking with you for many years and those who are just um, hearing of the news, the good news of Jesus, the gospel for the first time. And we know that you've brought, Lord, we trust that you have something to speak to us as individuals, as a community, collectively. And we ask that we would be sensitive to that and your spirit would convict us and encourage us and strengthen us through your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a film that came out about 15 years ago called Children of Men. Did anybody see this film? Okay, a few more this gathering than the first gathering. I'm not sure what that says about you versus them, but that's okay. Um, anybody online um, joining us? Um, but it's a, it's a film that came out about 15 years ago, and uh, in, in this film, the plot is, in essence, um, there have been two decades of infertility on planet Earth, and um, it had left society on the brink of collapse. Um, and the film, especially the last seven minutes of the film, if you've seen the film, and I definitely don't recommend watching it with young children, but it, it is, the last seven minutes are brutal. I mean, there is just, it, it's just atrocious. The warfare, the battle, the gunfire, I mean, it's just intense. If you've ever seen a war movie, it's, it's at that level. Um, it's a visualization of the pain of war, and it's also what comes in watching these last seven minutes. You're watching, you're just like, when is this going to end? Like, when, when will the violence stop? It just seems like it kind of slows, and then it keeps going, and then it keeps going. And there is this long peace that, that sort of rises up in you as you're watching the last few minutes of this film. And there is a war that we find in this passage this morning that rages in our condition. And there's a cry along with that reality, how long? How long will the warfare go on? How long until we have peace, whether that's physical warfare in the world that is going on right now in real time, whether that's um, individually, whether that's in our relationships, whether that's in our own heart. And there is this question of when will we have peace? And this passage this morning is a song. It's called the Benedictus. It's sung by Zachariah, um, and it's named after the first word of the song in Latin, uh, blessed. And in Greek, the first eight verses of this passage form one sentence. It's just kind of ongoing, ongoing. I mean, he's just getting this, Zachariah's just getting this song out. Um, for our Anglican brothers and sisters, this is a, a song that's used in, in the Book of Common Prayer and Morning Prayer. And Zachariah, in this context, is probably addressing his family, and we're going to learn a little bit about uh, the, the context or the background of this song. But in the lyric of this song this morning, the lyric of this passage, there's really two things that I want us to look at. Uh, one is the cry around the realities of warfare, and just, just acknowledge that it's in this passage. And then secondly, the la what, what offers us seen an ultimate peace? So the realities of warfare and the ultimate peace we long for. So first, let's look at the lyrics in this passage that point us to the reality of warfare in our world and in our human condition. We find it in the text here in a few verses, uh, verse 68 
uh, we find the language of redemption. Well, you don't have to be redeemed or ransomed from something uh, bought back at a price unless you're first enslaved. And so we find the reality of the human condition here in this passage. There is bondage here in this passage. Um, Verse 69, we find that a horn of salvation is being raised up. Uh, This is a symbolic of of somebody who's strong to save. Well, in order for somebody to be saved, it means that there certainly is something wrong. Who, are we, who do we need to be saved from or by? And we find that in verse 70 and 71 and 74. There's a repetition here of uh, we're being saved from and delivered from enemies, um, from those who fight us, uh, from, from the hand of the enemies, from the power of the enemies, of our enemies. Uh, in Greek, the language here is like a, an enemy, a professional hater, you might say. Um, ones with swelling jugular veins, and their jugular vein is swelling because there is so much suppressed anger there. Somebody who can't stand to look at us in our eye. And then the result of, of, of this bondage and enemies after us is that uh, often we live in fear, verse 74. Uh, we find that word at the end of verse 74. And so we have this imagery of slavery and enemies who hate us and the need to be rescued in fear. And, and where does the acknowledgement of warfare in this song come from? Because you might have heard or listened or read the Benedictus before, and you're like, man, it's a song of praise, and it is a song of praise, and we're going to get there in a second, but there's actually threaded right through here this reality of there is warfare. There is a real war that wages on. Well, Zechariah is so important to understand the context. What is he doing? He's singing out of a story. He's singing out of a history, okay? What history is he singing out of? He's singing out of the history of the nation of Israel. He's a priest, so he's a representative of the nation of Israel. And in the song of the consciousness of the nation of Israel is this same question, this same yearning. How long, Lord? How long will the warfare go on? So just walk with me here. Let's just think about the history of the nation of Israel for a moment, okay? Um, Psalm 13, 1 might, might be one of the places in Scripture that, that summarizes the best. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy, again that language, halted over me? All through the scripture, and particularly in the Psalms, this question emerges around the nation of Israel of whom Zechariah is a priest or a representative. And let's just think about the history now. Why does this cry come out of the scriptures? Well, we know back in Genesis 3, out of our first parents' rebellion, warfare came into the human condition. God did not leave us alone, but he pursued us. And through Abram and Genesis chapter 12, he formed a community, he formed a family, he formed a covenant community. That, that community, that family became a nation that was, what, under enslaved in Egypt. So here they are in bondage. You hear the rhythm of the song and the history of the nation of Israel. They get liberated through God's power, through Moses, the great liberator. Uh, they enter into the promised land. Things seem to be going okay. They have kings set up. And then what happens? The Babylonians attack, and the nation of Israel is taken into captivity. And so here they are again in bondage. They're in exile. Then the Persians take over, but they allow the nation to return. And this is Nehemiah and Ezra where the wall of Jerusalem is being rebuilt and the temple is being rebuilt and repaired. 
And at this time, there is no king in Israel. And so the, the nation is wondering, how long, Lord? How long will this continual warfare that we've been under, the hand of foreign nations, continue to happen with us? And that's where the language in the Psalms come from. And that's part of the language that comes out of Zechariah's song. That's why it's in there. That's why themes and threads of enemies and, and, and the need to be saved is in there. And fear is in there. And then the minor prophets come along, if you follow through the Old Testament. And they're asking the same question way. How long, Lord? When will the warfare end? And I love the last verses of Malachi before the New Testament. And there's this picture of a rising sun breaking and the dawn is coming. But, but it doesn't come so fast because there's like 400 years of silence. The Greeks come to power. And then the Romans come to power. And here we are in the first century, and Zechariah is here as a priest, as a representative of this nation. And there is this question in the consciousness of the nation, how long, Lord, will the warfare go on? And it makes so much sense that Zechariah would be one that God calls to give voice to this song because he himself, had felt the warfare within. He himself encapsulates in himself the very thing that Israel herself was struggling with. Think about Zechariah's story. Let's just go to Zachari the background of Zechariah's story for a moment. If you know in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 7, he's an old man. He and his wife, they're seasoned. They've been waiting for many years to bear children. How long, Lord? And then in verse 11, God shows up. An angel appears to Zechariah, and he says, it's going to happen. You're going to have a child. And Zechariah in chapter 1, verse 18 says, how can I be sure of this? And this isn't the same as Mary's, how can I be sure of this? This is like, uh, how can I be sure of this? Filled and riddled with doubt. He struggles to believe. We know that from verse 20 of chapter 1. And here we have, in this moment, this quintessential spiritual religious figure, right? Of anybody who should get this. If anybody who should be on it, it should be the priest, right? Representing the nation of Israel, visited by an angel, and what is found looming in his heart? Doubt! And so what happens to him in verse 20? He's brought into a season of silence. God in his grace and his love and his mercy mutes Zechariah for a number of months. O oh, despondent priest, Give me your tongue, says the Lord. You will sit in silence until I loose that which is bound. And this isn't just where the nation of Israel was. This isn't just where Zechariah is. This is actually where many of us are. This is where some of you are this morning, last season, in this last week, in this last month, in these last years, maybe for much of your life. You have been, you are acutely aware of the warfare. And I just want to say, and we know this from Scripture, the warfare is a real thing, you guys. Like, don't think for a second that we are just material ro roaming around the earth. There is real spiritual warfare that's at play. Don't think for a second when you wake up in the morning and you feel heaviness on you, or you feel sad, or you feel like you're doubting, or you feel just angry with somebody in your life for some random reason. There are, there are always reasons behind that, and you ought to kind of you know, follow those rabbits down the trail, so to speak. But there is also a real enemy in the world who is evoking continually warfare and trying to divide and discourage and break us apart. That's a real thing. And, and it's very 
easy for those of us who are followers of Jesus to over-spiritualize this and just to kind of say, uh, you know, well, it'll all be okay, and it's not a big deal, and Jesus is in control. And it's true. Jesus is in control, and it will be okay, but it, it should, you should not pass through that too quickly. It's important to acknowledge it, not to give it power, but it's important to be honest about that and to process that with brothers and sisters and friends in your life because the warfare is real. It was real for Israel, it was real for Zechariah, and it's real for our lives. Todd and I were just talking the other day, and, and we had had some really intense conversations as an elder team and with some leaders and some work that, that's happening in the church. All good stuff, but really hard, some hard conversations, too. We came through it, and Todd just said to me, I was processing with the Lord this morning, and I just, I said to him, I just I feel like I've been through war. And he said, the Spirit of God just kind of impressed on his heart. He said, that's because you have been. It is warfare. We know this from Ephesians chapter 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We see this in the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. He's conflicted. He doesn't, he, 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 he doesn't do what he wants to do, what he knows he, uh, he ought to do. There's a constant conflict in the human condition that sows all the way back to uh, Genesis chapter 3 because of sin in our lives. And the Benedictus is a song that addresses and raises the reality of this war waging in the human condition. To understand the fullness of this song, we can't bypass that. However, that's not where the song ends. And there's incredible news this morning for all of us, and this is the second observation I want us to make, is that something happens in this song, in the midst of the warfare, that actually leads to a lasting peace, to a lasting peace. So there's a song here, not only of the realities of warfare, but there's a song of lasting peace. What happens... In the midst of the war of this song. And it's not actually something that happens, but it's actually someone that happens. In the midst of the war, verse 68, here's what we find. Blessed be, this is the beginning of the song, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God shows up. In the midst, there's a visitation. The Lord himself arrives. And any time in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is using this word visited, it's always about the Lord showing up with some kind of grace to offer some kind of grace upon them. And Zechariah begins to praise God for this, for what God does in the midst of the warfare. And what does God do when he shows up, when he visits in the midst of warfare? He breaks into the history of a nation. He breaks into the story of Zechariah. And oh, oh yeah, he, he wants to break into your life and my life ongoingly. What does he do? We find it in verse 74. He keeps the covenant he made to Abram. What does he do in verse 68? He redeems Israel from slavery. What does he do in verse 69? He raises up a rescuer, a strong rescuer, a horn of salvation. This represents strength and physical salvation. From the house of David. Who is David? David was a king. David was a warrior. David was a soldier. He raises up someone who will put an end to the warfare. This is through David, through the line through which the Messiah would come. And so for what end? To what end? So that we might serve him without fear. Verse 74. He's broken in through the nation of Israel in this moment, and he's also broken into Zechariah's life through a child. <laughs> Verse 76, the whole song shifts. 
And it goes into a prophecy over Zechariah's son, John the Baptist. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his way. You see, his wife had conceived a son, and Zechariah's tongue at this point had been loosed, and Zechariah's son would become the voice for this horn of salvation from David's house. He would be the prophet of the Most High who would prepare a way for the Lord. So think about, think about what's unfolding here. The voiceless father has been given a son who will become the voice who prepares the way for the Lord himself to visit. I mean, that is pretty amazing uh, work that the Lord knew and brought all together in this moment. And then where does this all culminate to? And it all culminates to this place and this point of shalom or peace. This is what God is doing in the world. When he breaks into the world, how he brings warfare to cease, he brings peace. Verse 79, whereby, John Zachariah's song says, the sunrise shall visit us on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And over and over through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see this picture of the dawn has come, the light has dawned. But the question is, how does this happen? So Zechariah's son comes as a prophet, John the Baptist, to prepare the way for the Lord. But how is the warfare that rages in our condition overthrown? Is it as simple as just a baby being born? Because just think about it with me for a moment. Um, When you're in a place where there is war waging on the inside, there's conflict in your life, you're not in that place of shalom, you're not in that place of peace. How do you and I typically tend to try to obtain peace? I don't know about you, But oftentimes, for me, I think that if I power up, up, if I give more strength, if I win the argument, then peace will come to the situation. Uh, We think through grit. We think through intellect. I mean, this is how our world works, right? If somebody kind of powers up in front of you, what is your tendency to do? Power up right back to them, right? I'll show you how strong I am. I'm not going to back down. Are you with me here? I know none of you do this. <laughs> but here's the thing about this song, and here's the thing about Zachariah's life, and here's the thing about the nation of Israel, and here's the thing about the whole story of Scripture, and here's, this, this is what we talk about week after week. And, and, and if you hear nothing else, understand this is so critical this morning. In this song, we find the overthrowing force. The overthrowing force of the conflict is something completely unexpected. It's totally different than our approach. Verse 77 and 78 say it so beautifully. Knowledge of salvation is given to his people in verse 77 and the forgiveness of their sins. We're saved from the warfare. Peace comes how? Because of these two words, under mercy of our God. Now let's just think about these two words for a moment here. Tender mercy. 
When we think about trying to get peace in a situation, I don't usually think about those two words. What is tender mercy? Well, mercy in the Greek here is kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with this deep desire to help them. The person who maybe has conflict with you, your enemy. (laughs) Kindness, goodwill towards them. Seeing them as afflicted with a desire to help them in that moment. So there's this idea of mercy that emerges, but it's not, it's, there, there's, a mer, there's something that describes this mercy in this language of tender. The word here in Greek actually means bowels, your intestines. Um, not, not the muscles in your arms, but something far more vulnerable. Um, something that's so deep in you. Something that's soft, as it were. It's the word in English, tender. And it is here that war is overthrown. It is here not through the strength of your arms or your legs or your back or your mind, but through your most vulnerable parts, through the bowels, through the intestines, this imagery is where mercy comes from. And this is, as Zachariah says in this song, the very heart of God. And actually, how war is overthrown and how peace comes into the world. Do you understand what, how radical this is of a thought? God inverts in this moment. Sin has come into the world and God completely inverts the power structure of the universe to say, it is not strength that ends war, but humility. It is not powering up or arming up that fuels the end of the warfare, but rather it's weakness. That's not how it plays out when I have conflict with my wife. (laughs) At the end of the film, Children of Men, as I said, the warfare is brutal to watch. And in the midst of this warfare, in the midst of the brutality of the death and pain and conflict, all of a sudden you hear this different sound among the gunshots. It's a sound of a child crying, a baby that is just born, screaming out, competing with, as it were, the sound of gunfire and the conflict. And as the film sort of builds to this climactic moment, the gunfire becomes quieter and quieter, and the sounds of the child crying becomes louder and louder. And as people see this baby, because if you remember the plot of the film, there hadn't been a baby born in 20 years. It's like the conflict starts to cease. And in fact, people on both sides of the conflict in the film start saying, ceasefire, ceasefire, ceasefire. I think it's one of the most powerful images of this season that we find ourselves in of Advent. It's one of those beautiful pictures in film of the power of the incarnation. Because a few months after Zachariah sings this canticle, there was warfare in heaven. And however you interpret Revelation chapter 12, we know there is a woman who was giving birth and the enemy of our souls, the devil, wanted to devour it. But she was spared and he was spared. 
And it was under that cool Middle Eastern night canopy that, John, that Zachariah's wife's relative, a virgin in a barn, some say, would give birth to a son. And this is the very child that Zachariah spoke of, that the voiceless priest's son, John the Baptist, would become a voice for. And this child born into the world is both tender and vulnerable. And that moment is the beginning of the end of all warfare. That was it. Because this child would grow and ultimately in tender mercy himself, God incarnate, God in flesh, God among us, subject himself to the warfare of men by dying a death of love on the cross. You see, he didn't just come to speak of this overthrowing of war through vulnerability. He embodied it, he lived it, and then he died upon it. His death was the final blow to all warfare and opens up the doorway to eternal, ultimate peace to a world that God so loves. And so it is through meekness that God comes to end the warfare. He sends a child into the world. And it is through sacrifice that God ends the battle, ends the war. He's by putting himself to death on the cross. And how do we access this? Don't you want that kind of peace in your life? Like, that's what I want to rule in my heart every day of my life. How do we access that? How do we live in that? How do we embody that as a family of faith in our relationships and our families? I can tell you how not to do it. <laughs> this last week, I was in this place of despondency. The despondent priest, the despondent pastor, as it were. And the warfare was just raging in my heart. And I was so frustrated about so many different things that I could identify and I couldn't identify. And there's all kinds of things behind that. But it wasn't until the point where I'm sitting across the, you know, our kitchen from my beautiful wife. And she just looks at me and she's like, yo, <laughs> you have been angry for the last few days and you've been taking it out on me and the kids. And it was like this shock to my system. <laughs> but she was right. I had no defense. She was absolutely right. I was stuck. I was despondent. All I could see was myself and the war was waging in and all I could see myself was as a victim. And the Lord used her words to quicken me and convict me and, and shake me out of my selfishness and see my own sin. And, and this was Zachariah in this moment, wasn't it? He doubted. He was struggling. But then God, through his silence, broke him. And he realized, and out of his mouth comes this glorious song of praise of, the, of both the realities of warfare and the beauty of peace that comes from Christ and Christ alone. You see, we are consumed with the notion that a change in our circumstance will give us peace. But the scripture says, no, you need an outside alien resource to enter into you, something that transcends your circumstance. And Zechariah wanted his circumstance to change, but God wanted his heart to change first. And to the extent that we see that we are, are we victims of sin and, and in the world? Absolutely, we all suffer the effects of sin in the world. But until we see that we actually ourselves are part of the rebellion, 
we are going to continue in conflict all of our lives. The scripture makes it so clear and so simple that the posture of a believer, the posture of a follower of Jesus is to repent and believe. And that's what I had to do last week. That's what actually we have to do every day of our life. And that's not a guilt-shame thing. That's a, God, you are so glorious and you love me so much and you have poured yourself out for me. How can I not be honest and transparent about the realities of the depth of sin and conflict in my own soul? And so I trust things and I turn back to you and I trust you and I believe you. Is this you? Have you believed that? Some of us have been coming to church our whole lives and we actually haven't ever believed the gospel. We believe religion We've tried to do it based on our own works. We've tried to squelch the conflict on our own abilities. But we haven't actually been brought to this place, and only God can bring you to this place where you realize, I have nothing on my own. I can't manage that. I can't do that. I need God to visit from on high and through the cross, identify with him, turn to him in faith. O despondent priest, this morning, O despondent one, Give me your tongue and in silence sit until I loose that which is bound to break forth a song of peace in your tender bowels and upon the earth and in the neighborhood and through your house and in your bed and across our town. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in your arrival came the beginning of the end of all warfare. And yet we don't experience that fully right now. And we won't, but in this season of Advent, we both remember your arrival and we anticipate your, where it will, there will be an end of all war. And we will be with you in perfect peace. Thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. Almighty God. And we again this morning bow down before you, submit ourselves to you as king. You know the conflict in each person's soul in this room. And Lord, we believe only you can meet that need. You can bring your peace. You can usher it in. And you did through the cross. And we thank you for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.